0: Do you think people are becoming more or less faithful? Do you think people are becoming more or less faithful? Statistics show that the divorce rate has been on the decline for a long time and it hit an all time low in 2019. If I asked you to raise your hand if you knew that, I would expect to see zero hands. It seems like people are becoming more faithful, right? Well, with college football starting this weekend, as Lee Corso would say, not so fast, my friend. (laughs) That's only half of the story. Over the past 70 years, the marriage rate has also been on the decline, and it hit an all-time low in 2018, So maybe people aren't becoming more faithful, they're just becoming non-committal, unwilling to put themselves in a position to ever have to be faithful in the first place. I don't share these statistics with you to talk about marriage. This isn't a sermon on marriage. Some of you are breathing a little easier, some of you are maybe a little disappointed, but hang with me. I share that with you because it demonstrates the reality that faithfulness is hard to come by. Faithfulness is hard to come by. And what I mean by that, to find a man or a woman of character, to find people who mean what they say and do what they promise they will do, is rare. When it comes to being faithful to God, it gets even worse. But this is nothing new, right? All of human history, from Adam and Eve right down to you and me, proves that it is flat out hard to be faithful. I would argue it might be the very hardest thing in life. Because even if we wanna be faithful and we try to be faithful, many times we blow it. And on top of that, those around us, the ones that we hope will help us to be faithful to God often hinder us from being faithful to God. And our fight to be faithful gets harder. What in the world should we do? What can we do? How can we be faithful when those around us aren't? That's the question I want to talk with you about this morning. If you would, please turn in your Bible to 2 Kings chapter 22. 2 Kings 22, and Kings is after the books of Samuel. If you're in Samuel, you need to keep going. If you get to Chronicles, turn around and go back. So it's in between Samuel and Chronicles, and uh, before we get going, if I don't know you, my name is Jeremiah Meadows. I'm the community groups pastor here at Cyprus, and every now and then they let me out of my cage and unleash me up here. <laughs> and the problem is I used to preach like 45 times a year, and so I have like all this stuff stored up, and it kind of oozes out whenever I get up here. <laughs> in all serious note, the seriousness, though, this summer we've been in a series called The Kings and Prophets, And we've been looking at the Old Testament and we're not reading the Old Testament just so we can fill our heads with a bunch of historical knowledge. We're looking at the Old Testament because we believe that the God who lives and reigns today has been working ever since the pages of these these books. And we believe that the way he's been moving throughout this history gives us insight into who he is and how we can follow him today. Okay, We believe that the entire Bible is living and active, inspired by God and authoritative for today. That's another sermon. Let me get moving. But in 2 Kings 22 and 23, we're going to find out the parts that King Josiah and the prophetess Huldah played in God's story. And as we read these chapters, what we're going to see is that Josiah lived in a day when he was surrounded, completely surrounded by unfaithful people. He stepped into his reign in utter disarray. And in spite of that, he was unwaveringly faithful to God. And so if there's anybody who models this for us, Josiah is an excellent model. And as we look at his life, we can discover how we can be faithful to God ourselves. Before we read, let's pray and ask the Spirit to speak during our time in the Word. Father, we confess as we just sung, we depend on you. Every moment of our lives, whether we're awake or asleep, we depend on you. Right now, I depend on you. I ask your spirit to have your way with this time. Speak through me. Don't let me say anything that would be of me, only of you. And we ask that you would give us a fresh vision of you, that we would see you as you are, that your spirit would illumine Christ today and that we would see him and treasure him and love him and be faithful to you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, 2 Kings 22. We're gonna look at the first seven verses and then we'll stop and talk about those. Second Kings 22, one through seven, follow along. This is what we read. Josiah was eight years old. When he began to reign, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem, his mother's name was Jedidah, the daughter of Adiah of Bozkath, and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, and walked in all the way of David, his father, and he did not turn aside to the right or to the left. In the 18th year of King Josiah, the king sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, son of Meshulam, the secretary, to the house of the Lord, saying, Go up to Hilkiah, the high priest, that he may count the money that has been brought into the house of the Lord, which the keepers of the threshold have collected from the people. And let it be given into the hand of the workmen who have the oversight of the house of the Lord, and let them give it to the workmen who are at the house of the Lord repairing the house." that is to the carpenters and to the builders and to the masons, and let them use it for buying timber and quarried stone to repair the house. But no accounting shall be asked for them for the money that is delivered into their hand, for they deal honestly. Okay, so Josiah was only eight years old when he became king. We've got kids in here that are about that age. Imagine if they were president. Well, what we find is he actually did better than anybody before him. And look at this. His father, let me me back up. Why did he even become king at the age of eight in the first place? Here's why. His father Ammon was such a horrible king that his own servants murdered him two years into his reign. How bad are you when your servants kill you? Okay, okay. His grandfather, King Manasseh, was actually even worse. And the scriptures say that he was the worst king that Judah ever had. He had led the nation to do even more evil than their pagan neighbors that God had sent them in to destroy in the first place. He worshiped all kinds of foreign gods and idols and he even sacrificed his own child. Okay? Josiah, though, was different. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in all the way of David, his father, and he did not turn aside to the right or to the left. What a, what a epitaph on his tombstone. I'd sign up for that in a heartbeat. Though Amon and Manasseh, his dad and his grandfather, were his, you know, his physical fathers, they were his physical fathers, but King David, the king after God's own heart, was Josiah's spiritual father. And that's why he gets listed and described after David. There's a whole nother sermon on that, but let me just say this. In spite of Josiah's heinous lineage, he turned back and he lived faithfully before God. And the, the, the sermon in a nutshell that I could give is it doesn't matter what your dad or your granddad or your brother or your sister did, you can follow Jesus no matter who you are. Okay. All right. Back to this sermon. As we read here, Josiah was 26 years old when he began repairing the temple that Ammon and Manasseh had left in ruins. And though 18 years had passed between Josiah taking the throne at age eight and repairing the temple at 26, he had been developing spiritually all throughout this time. According to the book of Chronicles, Josiah began to seek the God of his father David at the age of 16, and then he began removing places of idol worship in Judah at the age of 20. And so students, it's never too early to start seeking God. Even if your friends or your family members fail to honor God, you still can, and you'll never regret it. Even though the others around Josiah were unfaithful, including Ammon, his own father, and Manasseh, his own grandfather, Josiah was faithful. And how do we know that? Because Josiah, according to these verses, valued God and God's work. That's what the temple was all about. And if you and I wanna be faithful to God, it starts with valuing God's work, valuing God's work. We don't have to do what everyone around us did. Or does. We don't have to do what our parents did. Anybody been online this week and seen these morons who are doing this milk crate challenge? (laughs) Seriously, people are stacking milk crates and crawling up on top. You know what every single video has in common? People falling flat on their face and hurting themselves. I saw a woman broke her arm. It was so gnarly. It was like going that way. And I was like, I mm, shouldn't have done that. But here's why I bring that up. Most of the people around us are living their lives with no regard for God, no value for his work. And they end up doing what the people on those milk crate challenge do. They hurt themselves. We don't have to be like that though. We can value God and his work. We can be faithful when others around us are not if we will value God and his work. But let's look at verses eight through 20 to see what else Josiah did so that we can be faithful Like him. Verse 8 And Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan, and he read it. And Shaphan the secretary came to the king and reported to the king, Your servants have emptied out the money that was found in the house and have delivered it into the hand of the workmen who have the oversight of the house of the Lord. Then Shaphan the secretary told the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. Pay attention to this part. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. And the king commanded Hilkiah the priest and Ahikam the son of Shaphan and Achbor the son of Micaiah and Shaphan the secretary and Isaiah the king's servant saying, go, inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah concerning the words of this book that has been found, for great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us. Because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book, to do according to all that is written concerning us. So Hilkiah the priest, and ahikam and Akbor and Shaphan, and Asiah went to Huldah the prophetess, the wife of Shalem, the son of Tikvah, son of Harhas, keeper of the wardrobe. Now she lived in Jerusalem in the second quarter, and they talked with her. And she said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, tell the man who sent you to me, thus says the Lord, behold, I will bring disaster upon this place and upon its inhabitants. All the words of the book that the king of Judah has read because they have forsaken me and have made offerings to other gods that they might provoke me to anger with all the work of their hands. Therefore, my wrath will be kindled against this place and it will not be quenched. But to the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire, Of the Lord, thus shall you say to him, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, regarding the words that you have heard. Because your heart was penitent and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard how I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants that they should become a desolation and a curse and you have torn your clothes and wept before me, I also have heard you, declares the Lord. Therefore, behold, I will gather you to your fathers and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace and your eyes shall not see all the disaster that I will bring upon this place. And they brought back word to the king. There's a lot there, but here's, here we go. As they worked on the temple, they found the book of the law. And the number one reason for why Manasseh was such an unfaithful, despicable king is because he despised God's word and he let it get lost. Nobody had a copy of the scriptures in their living room like we have 25. They had a scroll. And when that scroll got lost, they had no access to the word of God. And notice the descriptions of the law and what they reveal about the people in this story. In verse 8, Hilkiah tells Shaphan, Hilkiah is the high priest. He says we have, that he had found the book of the law. But when Shaphan goes and tells Josiah about it, you can look at this, it's right there. He refers to it as merely a book. Oh, we found a book. By the way, you see, Hilkiah the high priest had the eyes of faith and he recognized the law as sacred, as God's word, but Shaphan missed it. And what I don't want us to miss is how how Josiah responded the law because Josiah didn't just recognize it as God's word. He was undone by it. When Shaphan read God's law, Josiah immediately realized that he and his people had been living in direct disobedience to God. And according to God's word, the consequences weren't just dire, they were deadly. And so Josiah tore his clothes because he realized that they were under God's judgment and he sent his men to find a prophet to interpret the law. He wanted to be sure, hey, am I reading this right? It's a good thing. And here's what's interesting. Instead of consulting Jeremiah or Zephaniah, some of the other prophets who were alive in this time, Hilkiah and the others went to Huldah, a prophetess. And we don't know why they picked Huldah, but God used her to interpret the law for Josiah and she correctly prophesied that the Lord vowed to bring disaster upon Judah for forsaking him and worshiping other gods. God was going to send them into captivity and they would not escape that fate no matter what Josiah did. And just as an aside, I just wanna briefly make an observation. The scriptures esteem God's esteem women's role in God's work. Right here we see it. Hulda the prophetess was used by God. Jesus himself even entrusted the message of his resurrection first to women. Let's not miss that. But back to the story. Though Judah's fate was sealed, Hulda held out a glimmer of hope for Josiah. And I just want to read it again in verses 19 and 20. Because your heart was penitent and you humbled yourself before the Lord, when you heard how I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants that they should become a desolation and a curse, and you have torn your clothes and wept before me, I also have heard you, declares the Lord. Therefore, behold, I will gather you to your fathers, and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace." And your eyes shall not see all the disaster that I will bring upon this place. And they brought back word to the king. So Josiah wouldn't have to be there and watch Judah be taken from their homeland into Babylonian captivity. He would die before that happened. He wouldn't have to bear that dreadful day. Why? Because he humbled himself before the Lord. And if you and I wanna be faithful people, we must humble ourselves before the Lord. We have to take responsibility for our own personal failures. We need to stop making excuses for our sins and start mourning them instead. On top of that, we've got to confess the ways that we have collectively, as God's people, his church, blown it as well. And I know that this runs against everything in our ultra individualistic Western, you do you, I'll do me, culture and mentality. But lest we forget, Jesus taught us to pray, our Father who art in heaven, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Before God, we are a people, not just individuals. We can be faithful when those around us are not, but we must humble ourselves before the Lord. But what other faithful actions did Josiah take Turn over to chapter 23, 2 Kings 23, verses 1 through 3. Let's read those. Then the king sent, and all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem were gathered to him. And the king went up to the house of the Lord, and with him all the men of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and the priests and the prophets, all the people, both small and great. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant that had been found In the house of the Lord. And the king stood by the pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statues with all his heart and all his soul to perform the words of this covenant that were written in this book. And all the people joined in the covenant. When they brought back Holda's interpretation, Josiah immediately got everybody together. He gathered all of the nation's leaders and went to the temple and he called the entire nation together. It says both small and great, which a translation for us is everyone and their brother, everyone. And then he personally read God's word to them. And as soon as he read it, Josiah made a covenant before the Lord and he renewed a vow to be God's people and to live like it. And how did he commit to live? It says here that he committed to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and with all his soul. So Josiah vowed to do the right thing. He vowed to do it for the right reasons and he vowed to do it in the right way. And all of the people followed Josiah's lead and they joined in the covenant and they vowed to follow God as well. You see, much like Manasseh and Ammon before him, Josiah's example influenced the people. Only his influence was 180 degrees in the other direction. He brought them back to God. Josiah made a commitment to obey God's word and he taught the people to do the same. Now, for the sake of time this morning, I'm gonna summarize verses four through 20. I highly encourage you to go home this afternoon and to read these, but listen to, to what happens next. Put it plainly, Josiah cleaned house. Unlike any king ever before him, he went to every single site of idol worship, every high place, every altar, and he destroyed them. He took every false priest, every temple prostitute and slaughtered them. And even burned the bones of some of the godless ancestors on an altar they had made to a foreign god, desecrating that idol. Why did he do this? Because Josiah knew the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. And Josiah knew that he and his people were so susceptible to idolatry that if he left one single idol, they would find a way to worship it. And so he obliterated every last one. And my question for you is, and me is are we willing to be that radical in our faithfulness to God? Because again, to quote our savior, what did he teach us? If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. Do we water that down or do we stand before it and and get to a place in our hearts, a humble place where we are willing to get rid of anything that might tempt us to sin? Look at verses 21 through 25 to find out what Josiah did next. And the king commanded all the people, keep the Passover to the Lord your God as it is written in this book of the covenant. For no such Passover had been kept since the days of the judges who judged Israel, or during all the days of the kings of Israel, or of the kings of Judah. But in the 18th year of King Josiah, this Passover was kept to the Lord in Jerusalem." Moreover, Josiah put away the mediums and the necromancers and the household gods and the idols and all the abominations that were seen in the land of Judah and in Jerusalem, that he might establish the works of the law that were written in the book that Hilkiah the priest found in the house of the Lord. Before him, there was no king like him who turned to, him, turned to the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, and with all his might, according to all the law of Moses nor did any like him arise after him. So Josiah, he gathers all the people and he teaches them to obey and keep the Passover in accordance with God's commands. And those are found in Exodus 12 and Deuteronomy 16. You see, it had been since the times of the judges, hundreds of years since the people had kept the Passover the way God had instructed them to. They had been doing it on their terms. Now, why was Passover such a big deal? I'll give you two reasons. First of all, it reminded the people of their story how God had delivered them from slavery in Egypt. And he had done that miraculously, leading them through the Red Sea, parting the sea. But it also taught each generation who wasn't there to trust the same God to be powerful and good and deliver them. And we'll come back in a minute to why it was called Passover, but suffice it to say that Josiah was resolved to obey God's word and he led others to do the same. And in verse 25, we read another glowing description. What does it say? It's similar to verse 2, but it adds something else. Josiah obeyed with all his heart and his soul, and then this time we get this phrase added, and all his might. And what that means is that Josiah obeyed God completely. And this description comes from the Shema in Deuteronomy 6.4, the verse that every Jew knew by heart, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And Josiah did that. And this is why he is considered to be Judah's greatest king, greater than even David or Hezekiah. And think about this for a minute. After Huldah told him that the people were doomed for destruction, for disobeying God. What did Josiah do? Everything we just read was after that. Let's remember, okay? Rather than be fatalistic and think, why bother? We're going to hell in a handbasket and throw in the towel. Josiah decided to obey and honor God, knowing full well that it would still end badly for his people. Josiah obeyed God because Josiah's treasure was not what God gives. Josiah treasured God himself. And may we be people like that. So Josiah renewed the covenant with God and his people. He cleaned the land of all idolatry and he kept the Passover because Josiah obeyed God and taught others to obey God's word. And if you and I wanna be faithful we gotta teach other people to obey God's word as well. But must we must follow Josiah's example and personally obey before we call others to obey. Think about what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, follow my example, what? As I follow the example of Christ. Unless we forget, Jesus called us to obey him and he commissioned us to teach others to obey him. Remember that entire sermon series we spent on the Great Commission? According to Jesus, an essential, non-negotiable, required part of making disciples is what? Teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. The question is, will we, be, will, will we ourselves obey and will we teach others to obey God's word? After Josiah led the nation back to God, what happened to the people and what happened to this great king. Follow along as I look at, or as I read verses 26 through 30. Still the Lord did not turn away from the burning of his great wrath, by which his anger was kindled against Judah, because of all the provocations with which Manasseh had provoked him. And the Lord said, I will remove Judah also out of my sight, as I have removed Israel, and I will cast off this city that I have chosen, Jerusalem, and the house of which I said, my name shall be there. Now the rest of the acts of Josiah and all that he did, are they not written in the book of Chronicles of the kings of Judah? In his days, Pharaoh Necho, king of Egypt, went up to the king of Assyria to the river Euphrates. King Josiah went to meet him, and Pharaoh Necho killed him at Megiddo as soon as he saw him. And his servants carried him dead in a chariot from Megiddo and brought him to Jerusalem and buried him in his own tomb. And the people of the land took Jehoahaz, the son of Josiah, and anointed him. And made him king in his father's place. Everything Holda said came true. Even though Josiah obeyed God and led others to obey him, he could not pardon Judah. Josiah was Judah's best king, but God didn't let Judah off the hook. Judah paid for their sins, particularly the sins of Manasseh, the entire nation. And God sent them into captivity in Babylon. And Josiah's fate was just slightly better, but it still wasn't great. As we read, he went out to battle against the king of Egypt and he risked his life for what he thought was best. I did study on this. There's not a whole lot of insight into kind of what was going on and what his motives were, but he went out there doing what he thought was best for his people. And Pharaoh Necho killed him at Megiddo, And his silver lining was twofold. First of all, instead of being buried there in the middle by the Euphrates, they brought him back and they gave him an honorable burial in his homeland. And more importantly than that, as Huldah had said, Josiah never had to experience being carried off into Babylon with Judah because he died before they were taken captive. And here's the thing I want us to not miss. Josiah was the very best king Judah ever had. The very best. But he died like all the kings before him and all the kings after, them, after him. And even though he brought reform, his people were still taken from their home. And so what that means is that Josiah was the best king Judah ever had, but he wasn't good enough. Thankfully, 600 years later, after Josiah died, another king was born. And though he wasn't born into a royal family and his arrival didn't have the pomp and circumstance, this King Jesus is the true and better king. King Jesus is not just a great king. He is the king of kings. And why? Because he is the king Judah and Josiah longed for. He is the king that you and I so desperately need. King Jesus didn't just risk his life for what he thought was best, he sacrificed his life for what he knew was best to save you and me from our sins and to save us from death. You see, Jesus knew that the cross was coming and he willingly went there for you and for me. He knew that he would have to lay his life down. He didn't just risk his life, he gave his life. You see, Josiah led the people to keep the Passover. And if you remember, the Passover was in remembrance of how the Jews back in Egypt had been told, you need to kill a lamb and you need to paint the blood of that lamb over the doorpost of your house. When I send the angel of death into Egypt to kill all the firstborn sons of the Egyptians, when my angel sees your doorpost covered in the blood of that lamb, I will pass over you and I will not kill anyone in your house. King Jesus is the true and better Passover lamb. He shed his spotless human divine blood on the cross as the final ultimate sacrifice who took away all the wrath of God. Every ounce of punishment that sin deserved, everybody's sin throughout all of history was consumed by the perfect blood of Jesus. And the proof that Jesus is not just a great king, but the king of kings is that we cannot go and find his bones in a grave because he rose from the dead and he lives today. And his father gave him an eternal throne and an eternal kingdom. And anyone who runs to Jesus by faith and repents can have his blood painted over the heart, the door of our hearts, so that we might be redeemed from sin and death and we can join him and live in that eternal kingdom. The reality is, none of us could ever redeem ourselves or anyone else. Though we try our best, we will fail because we are utterly unfaithful. Thankfully, God is so good, so gracious, so merciful that he sent Jesus to perfectly and fulfill, faithfully fulfill his law because we never will. And though we are unfaithful, we can be made faithful through the faithfulness of Jesus. We can stop trying to do it on our own and we can trust King Jesus to redeem us from our sin. So I don't know how you came in here, but I do know this. Every single one of us can leave here different than we came. We can have all of our sin covered by the blood of Jesus today. And not only that, when we put our trust in Christ, he gives us his Holy Spirit and we can begin a new life in his power. And though we were unfaithful in the past, we can become more faithful like Jesus moving forward. God wants to make us faithful. He will make us faithful if we will look to him and we will believe that he can do for us what we can never do for ourselves. The question each and every one of us in this room, I don't care if you're four or 84 or anything in between, the question we must ask ourselves is do you believe that the faithfulness of Jesus is your only hope in life and death? Do you believe this? We're gonna close our service with a time of prayer like we often do. So I'm gonna invite the folks that are helping with that to come on up. And I don't know where you are this morning, what you're dealing with, how this message is hitting you today. But if you need prayer or you want to pray for someone else, please come forward. There is zero shame in coming up here. And I just, I just had this thought as I was, I was writing the conclusion today, but maybe the first step of finding the faithfulness that you long for and finding the faithfulness of God is just simply coming up here and asking him to give it to you. He loves to give good gifts. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful that we don't have to ever trust an earthly king because you have given us your son, the king of kings. Thank you that though we will never be faithful on our own, Jesus was faithful, he is faithful, and his faithfulness covers us when we trust in him. We thank you that he sits on an eternal throne right now, that his eternal kingdom will never be shaken. It will never be taken away. May we live in that kingdom. May we receive the forgiveness that is found only in Jesus. And may we live today faithful to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.